the breath is actually the it's the most it's the most effective way we have of regulating our own nervous system. So, you know, I, I think that yoga and specifically pranayama, which is just a big word for the breathing practices of the yoga tradition, um, has some really useful breathing practices for people dealing with um, anxiety before meals or anxiety after meals. There's, there's some things you can do simply with your breath um, to calm your body down and, and help your digestion uh, a, a whole lot. You are listening to the Eating Disorders Recovery Podcast with me, Tabitha Farrar. Hello, welcome to this week's podcast. This week, I had the pleasure of chatting with Chelsea Roth. And Chelsea is the founder of Eat Brief Thrive. And Eat Brief Thrive is a nonprofit organization with the aim of preventing and helping people um, overcome food and body image challenges through mind-body programs and things such as meditation, mindfulness, and yoga. Um, I'm a big fan of yoga, meditation, mindfulness, more so nowadays, I think even I'm a bigger fan of, of the mindfulness section of that. But for me, it's definitely started with the physical practice of yoga. And um, Chelsea and I get it, get into that in the conversation. But I do think that yoga can be a game changer when you're overcoming uh, an eating disorder. It it really helps and we're going to explain in the podcast a little bit exactly why it helps it's quite a bit of science behind this stuff it's not just all woo wah wishy-washy you know for me personally i found that yoga was the most helpful for me when i was going through what i refer to in recovery as the mid-recovery crisis um, and that's the part when you've sort of started eating weight restoration maybe not fully weight restored but you're on the way there and all of those, the parts of the brain that might shut down that sort of deal with processing emotion and doing um, normal human being things like <laughs> having emotions, um, which do tend to get shut down a little bit in those of us that have restrictive eating disorders when we are really underweight. Well, when those parts of the brain uh, wake up again, around about mid-recovery, uh, it it's, can be an overwhelming onslaught of feels like an emotional wall and it can be really difficult if you have had uh, an eating disorder for a long prolonged period of time and have actually kind of stopped processing emotions which is actually quite natural if you think about it and the body is in starvation the last thing it wants to think about is sort of you know uh, more emotional type things that aren't completely necessary f for survival but as it begins to realize that it's um, coming out of starvation it starts to fire up areas of the brain that um, may have been a bit sleepy and that can be overwhelming. And for me personally, you know, I had 10 years of having a very below par um, emotional response. Um, I had a very sensitive one, but not, you know, a lot of things were just pushed to the side. And in my mid recovery crisis, as well as my identity crisis coming up when I realized that I wasn't going to be all of the things that my life had been orientated around before when I was sick and that a lot of things were going to change and that I didn't know who the hell I was. I was also feeling all sorts of emotions about things that I hadn't even thought about for years. And with 10 years of that blackout, I had no idea how to deal with them. I just didn't really know what to do. I had to relearn a lot of things. So that is where this comes in. For me, yoga really came in here just at that time, just when I needed it most actually, it came into my life and it helped me deal with that stuff. So I really um, respect what Chelsea's doing. I love her program. I think she's a wonderful person overall and I think you guys are going to love her as well if you don't already know her. We've even got some practical bits in this podcast, um, a little bit of a breathing exercise that you can get started with if you're not used to that sort of thing. It gets weird, I'm not going to lie. You know, pranayama, yoga, it gets weird, but weird in a really good way. I hope you enjoy the podcast. I started by asking Chelsea to tell us a little bit about herself. Here's Chelsea. So my name is Chelsea. I'm the founder and director of a nonprofit organization called Eat, Breathe, Thrive. And our mission is to prevent and help people fully overcome eating disorders through uh, mind-body programs. Um, that's what I do for work. Um, I live in Venice, California, uh, right near the beach. It's pretty great. Um, 
I got into this line of work uh, as a result of my own personal struggles with this. Um, dealt with a, a pretty severe bout of anorexia, and I don't know if there's any bout of anorexia that's not severe, or any eating disorder for that matter. Uh, but in my youth, um, stepped into the lovely world of recovery and life and happiness around 17, and I haven't looked back since. And that was about 10 years ago. And what do you think um, enabled your recovery there? Like, um, did you go into um, inpatient treatment or how, how did that work? Yeah, great question. Um, there were a number of factors involved for sure. Um, I ended up in inpatient treatment in um, a children's hospital uh, just a couple weeks before my 16th birthday. Um, I actually had a stroke when I was 15 as a result of the eating disorder uh, and was hospitalized uh, immediately. Um, and I actually, you know, fortunately or, or unfortunately, depending on, on what angle you're looking at it, but I, I fortunately um, was, was removed from my parents' custody and I spent the next year and a half in the hospital. Um, the only reason I, I was able to stay in the hospital that long was because I'd been removed from my parents' custody. I was in a foster care system. Um, so I got free treatment for a year and a half at an inpatient facility. Um, you know, I always, always joke that like, um, you know, poster child for state funded healthcare in the U S like <laughs> it worked for me really well. Um, but I was in the hospital for a year and a half and, um, that was instrumental in my recovery for sure, getting that prolonged treatment and the support system at a recovery center. Um, but to be honest, Tabitha, you know, I got out of the hospital and it, I, I wasn't better even after a year and a half. It was, it was quite a struggle for the first couple of years. I still had a lot of anxiety. I had a lot of depression. Um, I certainly didn't have hunger or f fullness signals or the ability to, you know, eat intuitively. And, um, Another factor that was really important in my recovery was um, coming to the practice of yoga and of meditation and um, having some really helpful mind-body tools that sort of took me from maybe being in recovery to a space of, of freedom and life and happiness. Um, that's kind of the short answer. And so um, had you done any yoga or anything like that before you went into recovery? Oh, I'm, sh I'm pretty sure that somebody tried to teach me yoga once in a hospital and I had, I didn't want anything of it. <laughs> so I don't have like really specific memories, but you know, I'd, I'd been in treatment four or five times before and I'm sure there was a yoga class or a dance therapy class, but I'd certainly not done the practice regularly. Um, this was a good 10, 12 years ago. So yoga wasn't nearly as big back then as it is now. And so what was the, what was the difference? Um, what made you actually get into it? Oh, good question. Um, to be honest, the only reason I went to yoga originally was because I felt uncomfortable in my body and it was the only type of exercise that my treatment team allowed me to do. So, you know, I got out of the hospital, I'd been out for a year, I was having panic attacks. Um, I was, anxious. I felt incredibly insecure about my body. I was, you know, my body was, was literally twice the size it had been when I went into treatment and I was still underweight. So I hadn't even, uh, weight restored yet. And I just felt incredibly uncomfortable. And I had a therapist who was like, you know, I think yoga would be really helpful for you. You know, it's, it's, it, it'll help you love your body. And I was like, I don't, I don't want anything to do with this yoga thing. Um, I'm never going to like my body and yoga seemed to me to be like esoteric and kind of boring and, and maybe too easy, but I wasn't allowed to run and I wasn't allowed to bike. So I went to it, you know, kind of secretly because I wanted to fix my body. Um, and it, I, I, you know, I, I always say that yoga, and I, I really say this a lot, um, so if someone's heard me say it before, um, I think it's important, but yoga snuck up on me. It's it's a sneaky practice. Um, I went over and over again because, one, I really liked the teacher, and mostly because I wanted to, to change my body, and yoga kind of snuck its way into um you know, I, I sh my soul, <laughs> like it, it, it started to change the way that I felt about myself. It started to change the way that I talked to my body. It tried, it started to change the way I listened to my body. So all of a sudden I, you know, I could feel sensations happening below my neck. 
Um, and it, it sounds dramatic, but I, I wasn't, fe- I was pretty numb for a long time. I just didn't feel things and I certainly didn't trust my body. So, um, yeah, it kind of snuck on me. It, it, it was like, oh, I'm going to go here and exercise. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, I can feel hunger again. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. You say the feeling hunger again. Um, I have a similar story to that, although, um, no impatient or anything, but, um, in, in the, what I call mid recovery, I I started to do yoga and slightly similar to you. I only actually started to do it because I had banned myself from cardio exercise and anything else. (laughs) It was a, it was for me, it was a sneaky way of let's try and get some exercise in here by doing something that's not classified as exercise. And, um, but like, just like you, it snuck up on me. And one of the really, and I put, do put this down to the yoga, and, and though obviously I can't prove it, but I think somehow after yoga, I was able to feel hunger signals better than I was on a day when I didn't do yoga. And um, to the point where then actually my, my husband was, well, he's my husband now, but he sort of started to say, you have to go, you have to go. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I I can't prove it either, but we're well on our way to it with the research right now. There there are some really interesting studies coming out, and um, I think what you and I are both talking about and what we both had an experience with is um, yoga seems to rebuild interoceptive awareness, and interoceptive awareness or interoception is just your ability to sense what's happening inside of your body at any given time, and I find with eating disorders... Uh, Many of us who have struggled with them have very poor interoceptive awareness when it comes to hunger and fullness, maybe even thirst, but we might be hypersensitive with other types. So things like body temperature or pain or muscle stretching or how fast your heart is beating. And for me, I found yoga helped me rebuild the interoceptive pathways. So the, the neural pathways that allowed me to feel hunger and fullness and it also helped me cope more effectively with the pathways where I was hypersensitive, like my heart rate. I was very, very sensitive to when my heart would start beating fast. I just sort of had a, uh, it, I didn't go, oh, my heart's beating really fast. I was like, oh, I'm going to die. <laughs> so yoga helped me kind of go, oh, I'm not dying. My heart's just beating really fast. I'm just having an experience of anxiety, you know, and I can breathe and, and deal with that. Um and I, I think yoga does it in a sneaky way because I, I, I feel like if I had known it was going to happen, I, I probably would have had a lot more fear about going to yoga to begin with. The other part that stood out to me when I started doing yoga, and I mean, sort of when I say that, I mean, actually properly. So for reasons other than I'm trying to get some sneaky exercise in is um, I, I feel like there, it was definitely and I know people talk about a spiritual experience and some people have a spiritual experience by a praying or different religious I'm not a religious person, but I know in one yoga class, I had a life-changing experience where it was, it was, it's hard to describe, but it's like I could suddenly feel my body breathing and that I was in a body and holy crap, I have to look after this thing, which after that experience, everything changed for me. The way that I perceived food and looking after my body and eating to nurture myself actually became achievable rather than just these words that people throw around and tell me to do. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, I don't know what to attribute that to. Um, I mean, I, I found one thing that was very helpful for me in yoga was the community aspect. You know, there, and, and I, I think that is spiritual, depending on your, your idea of spiritual. I'm, I'm not religious either. Um, but I do believe that, you know, the best parts of, of being human are worth cultivating. And um, I, I think that the connection we have with other humans is, is one of those sort of best, you know, most, most sacred parts of being human. And what I found in yoga is that there was there were spaces where people made a point of connecting with one another and seeing one another. And even if they weren't talking to one another, being with one another and supporting with one another, even if it was, you know, just through a whole bunch of people breathing in a yoga class together. Um, and I, I don't know about you, but I found having an eating disorder tremendously, tremendously isolating and lonely and, um, and, 
and for me, yoga was, you know, part of where it started to build back this, um, I deserve to eat, I deserve to feed myself, um, was through that community piece of like, oh, you know, I, I have a place here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, certain, certainly that, um, I was certainly very um, isolated and, and cut off um, when I was sick. And actually, it wasn't always via me trying to be although sometimes it was and definitely after a while I just didn't want to go out because I felt so awkward and it was always social situations arose around eating and drinking and I couldn't really handle those so there were definite um there was a time when I stopped doing those things but there I also found that when I went I often felt like I was there was a glass wall between me and everybody else in the room. Like I, I just couldn't, I just couldn't get onto that wavelength. It was like I was on a completely separate communications sphere than anybody else I could ever talk to, which made me want to give up trying as well. And um, I do think that the community thing, it, you know, if you can start by breathing in a group and breathing with other people and actually finding that sort of like, oh, it's, you know, <laughs> we're all the same really. I think that's really powerful. Yeah, breathing. And you know, one one thing that I don't think we often talk about with eating disorders is, is um, and it's, it's a bit controversial, especially in the yoga community, but physical touch. Um, you know, it doesn't happen in every yoga class, but, but I did find that, you know, especially after having an eating disorder and being very isolated and kind of having a, a personality that was like, don't you dare come anywhere near me. Um, there were some yoga classes I went to after building a really trusting relationship with a teacher where someone would come over and just place a hand on my back. And I, I remember it being very powerful and at moments really scary and vulnerable, but by and large, incredibly nurturing and incredibly safe and incredibly helpful. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, it's a, it's a powerful practice with a lot of different elements. Yeah. Just, um, you saying that that's room. I'm, I'm sure. Do you know Trista? Trista is a yoga teacher in Boulder. Oh no, I don't. Trista. Yeah. So actually that happened to me in a Trista class. <laughs> and I, I was, it was in pigeon pose and I was just lying there and she, girl, she did was touch me. And the next thing I knew, I was in floods of tears right in the middle of the yoga class uncontrollably. Um, and I needed to be. I'm someone that hadn't cried for about 10 years. Um, and it all came out um, after Trista touched me in one yoga class. Um, and she is an incredible teacher. And um, sort of, But that really, that was very powerful and terrifying for me as mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you and I've, I've had classes like that. And I, I think it's, it's, it's both of those things. And it's not always done well. Like you and I, it sounds like I've had some good experiences. I've also had experiences in classes where my boundaries were violated a little bit by a teacher and um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe a lot bit. Um, so it's, it's, not, it's not that touch across the, the board is necessarily helpful. But I think for anyone who's dealt with mental illness, you know, I, I think that those are often the, the most touch starved human beings, you know, everything from like mental illness, like eating disorders and schizophrenia to also, you know, the elderly in our society. These are the people who get touched the least and probably the people who most need physical contact. Um, but again, it's, it's not always helpful. Uh, and, 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 you know, there are cultural and gender and age and context dependent things. And I, I always, we've got a, um, a, acronym in our program that we say stick to safe touch and stick being the acronym and it's uh safety trust intentionality consent and kindness um so i think it can be very powerful and 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 it also is you know maybe one of the most helpful elements of it in, in a full mind body program like the ones we teach is that hopefully what we're doing when we're working with clients with physical contact is helping them set their boundaries and helping them say, okay, you know, this, this is okay. Or no, this is not okay. I, I just need my personal space today. So tell me, tell me um, a little bit more about that program that you just mentioned. Oh, sure. Yeah. So um, we eat, breathe, thrive is a, is a nonprofit and we, we have a curriculum that we go around the world and teach uh, helping professionals how to run in their own community. 
So the idea is if you're dealing with an eating disorder or you're dealing with maybe even just run-of-the-mill food and body image issues. So maybe you've just gone through a divorce and you're feeling incredibly sad and finding that you're using food or lack thereof to deal with that sadness. Um, or maybe you've just had a baby and you're in a body that does not feel like your own and you're dealing with, you know, I don't feel good in the skin I'm in. Um, we have a program that we teach professionals how to run in their own community that's designed to help people um, build skills for mindful eating and body confidence and overall just emotional um, health and emotional resilience. Um, so it's a six-week program. It combines yoga, meditation, psychoeducation, and volunteer activities. So it's a pretty standardized curriculum and it's, you know, every week participants get together and they've got an hour of group discussion. Um, and that group discussion isn't just like, hey, how are you doing today? But it's, it's very psychoeducational. There are exercises they do every week and then they do 45 minutes of mindful movement, typically yoga and 15 minutes of meditation. And then at the end of the program, they go out and do a service project in their own community because I've found that, you know, getting out and doing volunteering or dedicating yourself to a, a, a something for someone else is a really good way to get out of your own head and out of your own problems for a bit. <laughs> yeah, um, very much agree with that. So what sort of service um, opportunities or volunteer opportunities will people take part in? Yeah, well, it, you know, it depends. It's good. Every group is a little bit different. Um, so the group itself, so basically if, if you were in a program that in your own community, um, you would spend six weeks with a, a group of men and women who are who are working toward the same goals as you, and together you plan a service project. Um, and so, as you can imagine, just like human beings are diverse, their their service interests are really diverse as well. We've had groups do uh, projects working with animals, so like a service project day at an animal shelter. Um, there's a group in Manhattan right now, and they're. Uh, or no, they're in Brooklyn, but their project this weekend, they're doing an art therapy benefit event. So they're offering art therapy to their community and all of the proceeds for that event are going to um, a, I believe it's a women's shelter. Um, there's, yeah, we've got, we've got a program in Edinburgh right now. What did they do? I think they did something benefiting a women's shelter. I, there's, they're very diverse, but um, I just did a, pro, a, a service project with a group in LA and they did, uh, they collected and bundled shoes for the homeless. So, you know, <laughs> it runs the gamut for sure. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really good. That's fabulous. I love that, that they can just do something good for somebody. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I feel like with eating disorders, we, especially if you're actively in treatment, you spend so much time um, exploring yourself and building self-awareness and, and processing your, your own challenges that it's really helpful to spend a whole day looking beyond your own nose. <laughs> Just going, you know what? I'm gonna set my problems down. I'm gonna set my self-analysis down. I'm gonna set even my therapy down for a little bit, just for a day. Uh, not that therapy is not really helpful, but just stop thinking about myself for a day and, and go out and, and do something transcendent. Um, and I, I found it's really helpful. It's, it's also just really fun. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, eating disorders for all of the pain in the ass they are, God, to put it lightly, um, <laughs> they do certainly teach us about ourselves. I've learned a lot about myself. Um, and coming out of it in a way that, uh, oh, I can actually help other people with this stuff. Um, I can, or even if it's it not necessarily eating disorder things, but actually I have some life experience, which has been pretty hefty. And I think that we come out pretty, pretty compassionate. I'd certainly, yeah. came, I certainly came out a lot more compassionate than I went in. Yes, absolutely. Um, I was, I was working with a group of clients just this past week and, and I feel like you're in my head right now, Tabitha, because we, the whole conversation was, you know, eating disorders as a gift and in particular in, in, in service relationships. So, you know, you go through an eating disorder and, and like you said, you, you, if you're going to come out the other side, you have to learn self-compassion and, and you have to, I mean, I think you learn a little bit about the messy parts of life that we so often judge other people for when you've walked in it yourself and you come out of it. You're like, you know what? I've been a little bit messy. I know I know the sort of narcissistic parts of myself or I know the 
um, desperate or needy or deceitful parts of myself. And I've, I've now got a little bit of self-compassion and I find it's easier to give compassion and, and to be present with other people in, in whatever ways those, those elements show up in them. Yeah. And one of the things that I, I do admit, but I, it's probably the most thing that I'm most ashamed to admit is that before, because I didn't, uh, my onset of my eating disorder was at 17 and before that I'd lived a really pretty charmed life and I didn't have any kind of body confidence problems. I was really confident. I was very happy. Um, but I was also just so disparaging of people with any sort of mental illness mm -hmm. or other people with eating disorders or actually any kind of mental illness problem. I would just write, I'd write it off as that's just being silly. And mm. boy, did I get what was coming to me. Because, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, um, yeah, 10 years of, of anorexia. And I, I'm, I, I'm a, the same person um, in many ways as I was before my eating disorder, but very different in many ways as well due to the experience of that and fully understanding from the inside what uh, that, that kind of illness is. And not just, so therefore not just being able to, have compassion for people with eating disorders, but compassion for people with any kind of um, mental illness or anxiety disorder, all of those things. Yeah, ab absolutely. It's, it's been true for me as well. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's just like anything. I, I find that the things that I most judge in other people are the things I have the hardest time reconciling and integrating in myself. They're usually these sort of disintegrated parts of me. And so it sounds like, you know, you might have had a few of those parts of you that were maybe disintegrated and they've become integrated through the eating disorder. And so it's, it's much easier to see someone else with kindness and understanding and empathy after you've integrated those parts of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I'm not, I'm not one to say I'm thankful for my eating disorder <laughs> for anything because honestly I'm not, <laughs> but, but that kind of thing that I wouldn't, I don't think I'd have ever got that. I don't think I'd have ever got that without experiencing it um I, and chelsea one, one other th another thing that I, I actually just wanted to ask you and we're move, moving back to the yoga part a little bit more because um so so many people i talk about um how much yoga helped me but i just, sometimes i don't think i am very good at explaining exactly why um mm. and one thing that i really felt because i went into yoga thinking or oh, yoga was all about sort of feeling nice and feeling happy and, and I wasn't really interested in it. And then when I got into uh, my first proper asana class, I realized that actually it was bloody uncomfortable. It was like all the postures are really uncomfortable, apart from the one right at the end, the Shavasana lying on the floor. But, um, you know, but what it taught me was the combination of being in an uncomfortable position plus breathing and breathing keeping me in that calm and relaxed state even though i was uncomfortable and i was then able to take that when i was eating which was uncomfortable and keep breathing and keep myself in a calm and relaxed state mm. that's such a that's such a well put um way to describe one of the most helpful elements of of yoga which is getting getting better getting better at weathering the storms of just suffering really like i mean it's a little bit buddhist that 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 term suffering but you know in buddhism you've got this idea that life is is full of suffering right and i find that yoga is is a practice that helps me better navigate those moments of suffering and if 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 i had any word to describe an eating disorder it would be suffering and especially the early process of recovery where you're having to eat again and you've got a digestive system that maybe hasn't been eating food or has been overrun with food or, um, you know, has been kind of thrown off from, from, you know, certain purging behaviors. Um, it's really painful physically and emotionally to, to reteach your body to eat. I, I always describe it as like re-breaking a bone. Um, the process of, of treatment is like, yeah, you know, you're going to have to ignore your hunger signals for a bit and you're going to have to ignore your fullness signals again for a little while 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 we reteach your body how to eat and that's hard and it's difficult. And I think I think yoga has so many practices embedded embedded in it that help us self-regulate through those 
uncomfortable moments. So when the anxiety starts to rise up, we've got practices and we've got, and we've practiced breathing through the anxiety and calming our body back down. Um, or, or just being with the discomfort and not layering on another layer of this isn't okay right now. I can't handle this right now. Just going, this is uncomfortable right now. Instead of layering on top all of the judgments and the, and the future worry and the past, you know, analysis that often we layer on top of suffering. So that bit's really interesting. I think I know what you're guessing at there, but, um, I, so that that past analysis of what we layer on top of suffering can you can you explain that a bit more sure yeah and i i I got super philosophical on you kind of quickly um yeah so there you know i think there's there's the raw experience of suffering and and maybe we'll we'll bring it into an example just so it's so we're we're not so far in the clouds um let's say that you let's say that some maybe someone's listening who's going through the refeeding process where maybe they've not been eating for a long time or they've been eating and making themselves throw up for a long time. And they're having to sit with the discomfort or the experience of suffering around eating and not engaging in that behavior that they want to do. Um, Oftentimes you've got that experience. It's already hard enough, right? Of sitting with this thing that you don't necessarily want to be doing or that's bringing you physical discomfort. Oftentimes what we layer on top of that is, is an analysis of the past. So maybe it's, you know, thinking about all the things you ate up until this moment or thinking about all the things you did wrong to bring you to this moment or wondering about all these different things that you did. If you had done them differently, if this moment would be a little bit different. So you've already got the suffering in the present moment and we reach out and reach back into the past and bring in some more of the suffering into the present moment. And then at the same time, you've got the future mind that loves to jump into the future and go, oh my gosh, what are these foods going to do to me in the future? Or what's going to happen three hours from now? Am I going to have to eat again? Or um, what's going to happen two days from now? Is this going to blah, blah, blah? So we, and then we jump into the future and we worry about the future and bring all that suffering into the present moment as well. So I, I find yoga has been really helpful at just helping me stay in the moment when there's suffering in the moment and not pulling suffering from the past and the future and bringing that in as well. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, that's, um, that's fabulous. And um, I definitely found that incredibly helpful when I was reteaching myself to eat, for sure. Um, and at different later stages as well. But I also found that I was able to start doing that with physical things as well. So I remember one time when I, I would actually pretty much just come out of a class where this was one of the, the lesson, the class focuses. And um I stubbed my toe and immediately, I mean, it hurt. That was the physical Mm. present, like this hurts like hell. Mm. But then it's also like, am I going to be, because I was actually on teacher training. And the first thought though really was, am I going to be able to go to class next week and do this teacher training? Because am I going to have a broken toe? And oh my God, all the the future things (laughs) that were nothing actually to do with the pain I was in, but intensified the pain I was in. Um, yeah. And I wasn't able to do it quite right then, but I, d- I was able to think, oh, that's interesting. I was already thinking like till next week. Mm. Um, and I just, you know, and then after that was able to, to break things down a, a little bit more, even in physical things that might hurt immediately. But just just separating what is it? What's the hurt right now? And what's mm. the hurt that I'm thinking about that's going to happen next that might not even happen? And it really don't need that on top of the hurt right now. So which bit can I take away? <laughs> yeah, no, that's such a great example. And it, it makes me think it, it, it also applies to relationships and, and you know, human connections. Like I, I, for, for, I think of like, you know, early stages of a new relationship, whether it be a friendship or a romantic relationship, I am such an analyzer and so often my head will will jump to analyzing what I just said and go like, was that the right thing to say? Or I wonder if I hurt that person's feelings or I wonder if if I ruined it. (laughs) And then I'll also go to like, is this person going to still be there tomorrow? And what if I do this? And and I'll jump into future and past. And I I find that that yoga, the, the whole practice of yoga is can you stay with what is right now? And the, the one other thing I would add on to that is this can sound really philosophical, but if, if you're listening right now, this isn't just a mental game. It's, it's, 
it's coming into what you feel in this moment. So for instance, I can feel my seat against the chair beneath me. That brings me into this moment. I can, I actually feel a very subtle inhale. When I inhale, I feel a very subtle like air going through my nose and going over the back of my throat. That brings me into this moment. So it's not just like mentally saying, oh, stop thinking about the past, stop thinking about the future. It's coming to the sensations of the body in the moment. And like in the example you gave, Tawatha, it's going like, there is pain in my toe right now and attending to that sensation instead of what's going to happen later. Yeah, it's good stuff. I get very excited about these yeah, kinds of And, you know, I, it's, it's incredible how much I use my yoga in, in other situations as well. Um, when you were just describing describing what can you feel right now I actually I went skiing at the weekend and we got in backcountry in a whiteout and into a pretty scary situation and we all lost one another and I could only see a couple of um, feet in front of myself and I was terrified I have not been that scared for a while and I didn't even know which way was down genuinely for a while and then when it was down it was very steep and I found my brain going to, I had already broken both of my legs <laughs> by falling down this mountain. And it and, and that paralyzed me. I couldn't move in that thought. But when I just, and I, I did what you just said, I, I took, I breathed, I did a couple of breaths and that calms, that calms you down. And then I just thought right now, you only need to survive for the next 10 seconds. And that's generally one turn. And I survived turn and then the next turn and then the next turn. And then I was at the bottom of the mountain not quite that fast it took a while but I was skiing one turn at a time very present not going into 10 turns 10 turns into the future when I probably broken both my legs <laughs> yeah oh that's such a good story and it's it's like you you might have actually broken your leg had you not been able to come into the present moment in the way you did yeah <laughs> and so it's it's incredible how how much I use what yoga taught me in all situations and Pretty much all of them are to help me not freak out and lose my shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I think, you know, eating disorders are, are, are really illnesses of, I mean, and I think many mental health challenges are, but they, they're illnesses that don't, don't they, they basically, the nature of the illness is to jump into the future or jump into the past. I, I know for me it was, what did I just eat? And what is this going to do to my body in the future? Um, or, you know, what am I going to not eat later? <laughs> um, or what did I, you know, it's, it was just always past, future, past, future. And I think life happens in the moment you're in. And oftentimes we're, our, our consciousness is so far projected out ahead or in the, in the past that we, we miss the real, the gift of, of what's happening right now. And, you know, sometimes that gift is on a ski slope and sometimes it's, you know, just the sort of tediousness of, of, you know, sitting in a kitchen. <laughs> yeah. And I, I had to use, my, I had to use my yoga sitting in the kitchen so many times. And, um, so there's this, there's this breathing and I forget what it is exactly, but it's, it's, um, isn't it that when you're breathing long, slow, deep breaths, you stay in the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the, I'm not going to freak out one. And when, but when your breathing goes fast, you go into the sympathetic nervous system, which is the I'm freaking out one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's There's been some very interesting research on diaphragmatic breathing. So that's that breathing that goes really deep into your lungs and is slow and, you know, just think like breathing in as far as you can and then taking in a little bit more air and then very slowly breathing out. Um, really helpful if you do it through the mouth. Um, that, that, tends to activate the part of your nervous system, like you said, that's responsible for rest and digest. And, and, you know, the fun fact for people with eating disorders, the reason they call the parasympathetic nervous system, the I'm not freaking out nervous system, rest and digest is because um, that's the part of your nervous system that, that gets active when you're, uh, well, that one of the effects of that nervous system is to allow you to digest food. Um, I always say, you know, when you're running from a bear, the last thing you should be doing is digesting your lunch. So in fight or flight, you, digestion slows to a near halt. Um, so that slow diaphragmatic breathing right before a meal can be so helpful um, for people who are already dealing with, you know, anxiety at meals and, and maybe digestive issues as well. I mean, we know that for people with eating disorders, 
we go into the sympathetic nervous system often when faced with food and at mealtimes, which is really unhelpful because that's not a very, that's not a good place to eat from. We're not designed to eat while we're in the sympathetic nervous system, as you said. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, and it's, it's difficult. And, you know, I mean, the breath is actually the only, um, I hesitate to say the only, it's the most it's the most effective way we have of regulating our own nervous system. So for instance, you know, you can think really hard and say, you know, okay, heart, I want you to start beating faster. And it's not going to start beating faster by just thinking about it, but you can take really short and shallow breaths really fast and get your heart rate up just by taking those kinds of breaths. Um, so, you know, I, I think that yoga and specifically pranayama, which is just a big word for the breathing practices of the yoga tradition, um, has some really useful breathing practices for people dealing with, um, anxiety before meals or anxiety after meals. There's, there's some things you can do simply with your breath, um, to calm your body down and, and help your digestion, uh, a, a whole lot. I know though that, and I, I know it because I'm one of them, that, if you, if I was the sort of person that if you told me just to take a deep breath when I was starting to freak out, I'd probably tell you to piss off. <laughs> and now I'm that person that says take a deep breath, and I, I, I do see the irony there. Um, I, I wonder why it is that um, some people tend to, like I had, give up before I'd even started trying that. Um, that's a good question. I mean, I think there's, I think one, it's really hard, you know, it's take a deep breath when you're in the middle of anxiety, taking your body is saying, don't take a deep breath. And that's the nature of anxiety. It's short, shallow breath. It's this, you know, vicious circle that is, as you go more into the sympathetic nervous system, you're more inclined to take short and shallow breaths. So it kind of feeds on itself. Um, I think the other challenge, I mean, the thing that comes to mind, and I, I think really deeply about these types of things, so this might be too deep an answer, um, but sometimes I think we feel ambivalent about our own healing. And I think, you know, take a deep breath, like piss off is a little bit of like, I'm not ready to take a deep breath right now. I, I'm panicking and I have a right to panic and I want to panic and I don't want to take a deep breath and I don't want to eat. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I feel sometimes I feel sometimes even if there's a part of us that is really invested in, in getting better and recovering and having our life back, oftentimes there's another part of us that's really scared of that or doesn't want that. And those two things can be at battle sometimes in the subconscious. I definitely have, have been there. And I have to, that was, that was a part of it. I do think that was a part of it. For a long time, it was just not, I don't want to do that. I want to freak out. Um, <laughs> Yeah. But, but, you know, it took me a very long time to get very bored with freaking out, bored enough to say, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll try the breathing. And, and I think that's part of why I have so much respect for the work you're doing, Tabitha, is um, one of the things that sometimes we just need to do is freak out. And sometimes it's really helpful if somebody just is there with us when we freak out. Yeah. <laughs> so it's I don't want to do this and I'm going to freak out and to have somebody sitting there and go, okay, you can freak out for a second, get it out of your system. Like it's okay. The world's not going to come to an end and I'm not going to run away if you freak out. Um, that can be incredibly powerful. And then, a, you know, it's almost like a kid, that like, you know, like a toddler that just needs to scream and yell and get it out of their system and then go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's really interesting with eating disorders. Um, and from me and what I observe with people is that, it's a very, very, it's incredibly strong tantrum, freak out emotion that, that the eating disorder can provoke. And it, it can be a bit of a, 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 like a kid throwing a tantrum, an easy way to get someone off your back and get what you want is just to have that freak out. And then usually like for someone that's not really um, used to dealing with eating disorders, that's really scary. A full grown adult throwing a plate of food across the room, screaming and shouting, <laughs> it's, it's kind of scary. And I can't blame anybody for then saying, okay, okay, I'm not gonna make you eat. Whereas, you know, it's actually sort of just being there with them, freaking out, being that's okay, you can freak out, I get it. Okay, yeah. you're done? Okay, now we're gonna eat. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I, I was thinking when you were saying that the, the ironic thing, maybe not ironic, but the maybe paradoxical is a better word for it, 
is that oftentimes I find people with eating disorders have the most difficulty expressing big emotions in normal life. So they're the least likely to like yell and scream when they're angry or say, I'm disappointed or, um, you know, I wish you had been there or something like that. And then, and then it comes to food. It's like, oh, here are the emotions. Like they're not, they, they're not expressed anywhere else until you get to the food. Um, so I think if you're pushing down or you're suppressing your emotions in all these other places, um, it's, you know, you're eventually going to find a place where it kind of explodes. And I think for many people with eating disorders, it has to do with food. Yeah. <laughs> it all comes, you're absolutely right. It all comes out when, when, the, when there's food there. I can be the most composed, put together person, but then if you'd have put food in front of me, it would have all gone to, all gone to shit. Um, yeah. Chelsea, I would, do you have, if for anyone's listening and they are sort of, um, well, I'm going to, first of all, how can, uh, links to you so that people can get, uh, you know, find out more about you. But before that, is there anything that would be like just a short, um, introduction on how to breathe like little practice like you spoke a bit earlier about taking a long deep breath and then holding it that's something that people could maybe just sort of try playing around with after they've listened to this yeah absolutely um and we can just do it in you know 20 seconds here um my favorite it's it's sort of like ujjayi breath and yoga but it's it's almost halfway to ujjayi breath so ujjayi breath is a breathing practice where you I call it Darth Vader breathing. Where you make, you kind of sound like Darth Vader. Your mouth is closed. You're making this sound in the back of your throat. Um, for people who are new to breathing, I find it's really useful to have the mouth open. So um, let's let's do this sort of. It's a modified Ujjayi breath. Um, Tabitha, I'll just teach it to you. I know you've done. Before, but it's it's easiest if I've got someone to teach it to. So take your right hand up, and I want you to bring it about about six inches from your from your mouth, right in front of your face, and pretend this this hand in front of your mouth is a mirror, mm -hmm. and then take a deep breath in through our nose together. Exhale out through the mouth. Good. And Tabitha, you did it. For those of you listening, I want you to do just what Tabitha did there. I want you to fog up the mirror. So pretend your hand is a mirror. You're going to take another deep breath through the nose. Exhale, fog the mirror. One more time. Inhale. Exhale. Good. You can set your hand down now. And then we'll do another three rounds of that. Let's see if we can slow them down a bit. So inhale through your nose. Exhale through the mouth. Again like that. Inhale. Exhale. Last time. Biggest one. And exhale. It's a really nice one, right before a meal, especially. I feel calmer. <laughs> um, and I find, you know, for those of those of the of you listening who are new to yoga, um, you know, a lot of times in yoga when they teach you breathing practices like ujjayi breath, they say you've got to keep your mouth closed. If you're new to breathing, open your mouth and make sound as you exhale. You can even do it with your with your voice. You can say. <sighs> and that that will activate your parasympathetic nervous system. So this is good for that rest and digest part of your nervous system. I know that when I first started doing pranayama, I, um, wow, I, um, it re I have struggled to get through it without starting to laugh because <laughs> when, it, when you're new to it, it's, it's like you're in a class of people and everyone's just breathing really loudly. And it kept, I kept on snapping into this sudden absurdity of the whole situation I was in and that would make me laugh but I always say to people well don't worry about that because <laughs> laughter is a really good thing <laughs> if something can make you la if you go into pranayama and it's making you laugh then just keep going <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the whole point there's a whole there's a whole style of yoga called laughter yoga for that reason because you know it's it's weird yoga's weird pranayama's weird it's good weird but it's not exactly what we do most of the time walking down the street 
Yeah, it it is weird, but it's I mean it's it's been people have been doing this for thousands of years because of the the powerful effects it has on the body and on the mind and on you know they didn't know it was the nervous system, but we now know it's your nervous system. So it's okay to get a little bit weird, and if you're in a yoga class, especially everybody's being weird right along with you. So yeah. and if you've got an eating disorder, then you you've got all kinds of weird going on anyway. Yeah. So what's a little bit more to add to that? Nothing to lose. Um, Chelsea, where can people find out more about you? Um, sure. So I, the best way for people to get involved, um, if you're a helping professional, professional, if you're a yoga teacher or a mental health professional, a nutritionist or an educator, would love to have you at our trainings. We, we train helping professionals how to run six-week programs in their own community. So jump on board and become a facilitator. And if you're someone out there struggling with an eating disorder or in recovery from an eating disorder and you're interested in a program, um, you can also go to our website, uh, the webs, and you can find all the programs that facilitators are teaching on our website. Um, the website is eatbreathethrive.org. That's eat like eat food, breathe like breathe air, thrive like not survive, but thrive.org, not .com. I will link to those in the show notes as well, so you can you can get the show notes this episode, and the link that link will be in there. Thank you, Chelsea. Thank you, Tabitha. Thanks for all the great work you're doing. Huge thank you to Chelsea for coming on. She is an absolute blast. Um, a real darling of a woman. She's just fun. Um, she's obviously, she's she's been through the rounds with eating disorders. Um, and she's come out the other side and she's just full of life and um, giving life to lots of other people as well. And using her experience to help other people in recovery from an eating disorder really get to that that last bit and re- and yoga can help with that yoga meditation mindfulness they can just be the, the final push that really just puts the nail in the coffin on those entrenched behaviors and thought patterns and um so really thankful to chelsea for the work that she's doing there i will link to all of the um um notes to chelsea's eat breathe thrive organization in the show notes so that you can go and have a look and see what she's been up to remember if you are enjoying these podcasts then um, please do us a favor and go to the itunes the podcast um eating disorder recovery podcast in itunes and give us a five-star rating and that's not because i actually get anything particularly out of that apart from a good feeling <laughs> um, but it's because if it means that if somebody goes into iTunes and searches for eating disorder recovery podcast or eating disorder podcast this podcast will come up and so by you giving it a good rating it means that somebody else that needs to listen is more likely to find it and that means a lot to me so I would really appreciate that cheers and until next time cheerio